I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is the High Commissioner of Uganda to South Africa, Barbara Nikesa Owundo who is also credited to five other countries, the Republic of Botswana, Kingdom of Lesotho, Republic of Namibia, Kingdom of Swaziland, and Republic of Zimbabwe. She is the National Resistance Movement Chairperson of the Women's League in the Busia District, and from 2011 to 2016, she was a woman representative of Parliament Busia District in the Parliament of the Republic of Uganda, and also served as Minister of State for Karamoja Affairs. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Malaya. I'm happy to be here. We're so glad that you could be here, particularly as this week we've just had the 55th anniversary of independence celebration. So it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share with us a little bit more about the work that you do and responsibilities that come with holding your position as High Commissioner? Thank you, Doctor. First, I would like to thank you for having honored us with your presence as we celebrated our 55 years of independence for our country, beautiful country, Uganda. You made us proud, part of the crowd we knew, really. SABC is covered here now. And uh, going back to your question, yes, I'm uh, the new High Commissioner of Uganda to South Africa, and uh, precisely um, one and a half months old now. Very new to the country. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. The country is beautiful and I love it here. And I'm even very happy my president chose South Africa for me to represent my country. I am already accredited to South Africa. I've already presented my letters of credence here. And uh, just like you mentioned, we are accredited to other five countries in the southern part of Africa. That is uh, Botswana, Swaziland, Lesotho. We have Zimbabwe and... uh, I think we have also Namibia. Mm. We are steadily receiving in our letters of agreement from these countries, and uh, we shall be also getting accredited to those various countries very soon, sooner than later. But our primary mandate here is nothing really very complex. My primary mandate almost evolves around representing my country, my sending state, in these receiving states, the ones we have just mentioned. I have to represent my country here, and another thing I have to look out are the interests of my state, the sending state. What are Uganda's interests in South Africa? What are Uganda's interests in Botswana? This is what I must look at. And of course, the other interests of our nationals. And while doing this, we should ensure that we continuously strengthen the bilateral relations between Uganda and these other six states, South Africa and the other five. We must ensure that we build on what is already there. Because there are so many agreements that have been signed on the collaborations between these countries and Uganda. And what I have to do is not to dismantle, but to continuously strengthen the relations between us and these countries. When we look at our diplomacy of today, it's no longer the political diplomacy people really knew. It's now more of the economic commercial diplomacy. People are looking at how to do business together. How do we ensure that we realize economic integration? First of Africa... I'm happy I'm from an African state representing my country in another African country. This is very good. And that we keep this as as an intra-Africa relationship so that the economy grows the entire continent as opposed to Mm -hmm. looking at outsiders. Uh Aha, 
the Africa, Africa ties, yes. actually, should be priority for us African states. Though this is what we have anchored on, our work here, mainly to engage different entities, business entities, commercial entities and companies, interesting them to invest back in our country, Uganda. And I know from the presentation that was delivered at the anniversary celebrations that mm -hmm. you've got strong components within tourism as mm -hmm. well as in energy and mining. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit on those types of, of interactions and what Uganda is anticipating? Uganda anticipates, for, uh, for instance, as we speak, we have not yet signed uh, an agreement between Uganda and South Africa when it comes to the tourism sector, but we are looking forward to do that and how we can now uh, work together with South Africa in line of tourism and culture. But we have other agreements. We have agreements that have already been signed in areas of uh, natural resources, areas of uh, the fisheries sector, areas of defense. We have collaborations in all these angles. And what we are basically looking at is to strengthen the bilateral relations, especially in uh, the trade, the trade sector. Because we believe trade sector, this is where we have a lot of barriers that may deter our business people from Uganda or our business people from South Africa to freely do business in these two countries. And when we look at the economic commercial diplomacy, Uganda and South Africa, we have been doing so well. So far, so good when it comes to South Africa. They have a number of companies in Uganda. We have MTN, we have Sub Miller, we have ShopRite, we have Woolworth, so many of them. But when it comes to Uganda, we are still finding a challenge on how to penetrate the, the South, South African, African market. market. So these are some of the things that we are looking at. What do we want to address in our agreements? What are those standards? We should specify them in black and white. The standards that Ugandan companies should meet in order to freely export their goods from Uganda into the South African market. I think this will go a long way in interlinking us and uh, also working on other programs, especially the infrastructure development, because it's one way accepting goods to be sold in the Ugandan market and sold in the South African market, but how are we moving our goods and people from you, both South Africa and Uganda? So as we work on breaking the barriers, the economic barriers, we are also looking at addressing the infrastructure development between these two countries. Totally, we need those How do we lower the fare rates, especially airline rates. How are we looking at the post-handling hours at the airport? These are hours that are given to goods upon arrival, upon which expiration anybody that has brought in goods is expected now to begin paying for what they call damage. So we want to address all these areas and see that our African people from both Uganda and South Africa can do business very well on the other ends. And our work here, apart from wooing the investors back to Uganda, we also consolidate the relations we have with other countries that are represented in Pretoria. You know, globally, Pretoria is one of those uh, capital cities that have the highest number of diplomatic missions represented in them. I think so it's not second to America. <laughs> Surely. Not only engaging South Africa is our work, but we also have on and off meetings with different countries that are represented here to also see how we can continuously strengthen our relations with them. Though we are here and we should go beyond South Africa. I find here South Sudan, I find here Kenya, I find here uh, Tanzania. These are all from East Your Africa. Eastern neighbors, yes. So when we are in South Africa, we also get time off and then caucus. By having those Eastern blocks, mm -hmm. it provides a greater strength of unity. Uh -huh. 
Because one thing we should do, before my government, by the way, came into power, the NRM, for someone to travel from Uganda hmm, to Rwanda, one would have to fly out of East Africa before you would get a flight that would connect you back to Rwanda, which is quite a problem. You know, it takes a lot of money. We lose income. We lose money. And time. Aha, that is it. So, and because time is purely money. So we find that uh, one thing that we must emphasize as we are here, as East Africa, what do we take back home in order to ensure that our countries are connected, interconnected? This is very, very important. So apart from engaging South Africa as our host country, we also go beyond that and interact with the other countries that are represented in South Africa. And of course, to climax everything, what we look at always is how we transmit our work or what we do or what we see back home. So our mission here, apart from representing our state, its interests, interests of our nationals, strengthening bilateral relations we have with both South Africa and the other states, and also ensuring that we woo investors back home, we must keep in constant communication with the headquarters to inform them on what is happening, decisions that are taken that obviously affect the African continent, Uganda inclusive. I think it's a wonderful opportunity <laughs> sure. and to Thank be you. really able to, to leverage what you're exposed to. And as you said, not just the core of the job, <gasps> but by taking advantage mm-hmm. of having literally every nation of the world represented in this one city. It has made doing work here very, very easy for us. Now, our program, Womanity, Women and Unity, is all about gender equality. And during the course of the conversation, we'll obviously highlight some aspects of the topic. And I wanted to start by asking you what your perspectives are in terms of women's empowerment and gender equality legislation. So, in other words, the role that legislation plays in helping to promote equality for women. Mm. To uh, focus on this question, we realize that Uganda, if you may take keen interest in knowing more about Uganda, Uganda is, was one first country. In fact, it was the first country in the world that uh, made provisions for affirmative action, especially for women. Uganda has uh, 112 districts. And these ones, you, you'll be rest assured that our parliament has a total of 112 women, a woman representing each district. But why do we do this? Because we want our parliament, since its major role is legislation, to come out with policies that are gender sensitive. This is very, very important. And this applies to all our councils, the lower levels, either because we have what we call parish councils, branch councils, we have a sub-county, we have a district, and then national. So among all these, apart from us only looking at the gender perspective at national level. We go to an extent of having the affirmatives, affirmative groups. The affirmative groups or what I would call the special interest groups. These are the youth, the disabled. Uh, our army is also represented in parliament. But among these groups, the workers are also represented. Among these groups, we emphasize that your representation in parliament should not only comprise of 100% men. Mm-hmm. That one, we are not in agreement. What we emphasize is that, yes, you can bring your representatives because the women, the, uh, the workers, the youth, the disability, and the UPDF, each of those groups, those special interest groups, has five, five representatives in parliament. But 40% must be women, meaning among the five, two must be ladies. So this is what we have done to strengthen the issue of having gender-sensitive policies out of the parliament of Uganda. 
And by law, all budgets, we look at them with a very keen eye. That is how serious Uganda is. We look at them with a very keen eye. You should show us the gender component. At least 30% of your budget should depict 30%, that sensitivity towards gender. What are you doing to empower women? What are you doing to empower women and at what levels? We want to know how much from the 30% is going to whatever level to empower women in our country. And this, when we talk about empowerment, the narrative is not enough. Women empowerment, women empowerment, and it only keeps on black and white paper only, pen and paper. We want to walk the talk. And to consolidate women empowerment, the first thing, the prerequisite, this everyone keeps on saying, educate a, a child, educate a nation or a world, I should say. So in Uganda, we have put in place what we call the 1.5 girl point at university entry. 1.5 girl point. Ah, at university entry. What does this one really benefit a child, a girl child? When you have a course where 15 points are required for entry at university and a girl child had 13.5, automatically this one will qualify for that course. Because with her 13.5 plus the 1.5 from uh, government, she automatically qualifies to get the 15 uh, points that even the boy has. So government of Uganda has put in place all avenues, beginning with the education bit of it, to ensure that we empower a girl child, but we give them the prerequisites, which is education that will enable us have leaders, because we have seen leader, women uh, assume great positions in the country. And this cannot happen when we have women who are not educated. It's not possible. It's the feeder system <sighs> that goes all the way through. And from the 30%, we always encourage that a component should be left for sensitization. Our rural areas, our parents still need to be talked to. Because let me give you an example. A household where a father has run out of money, they would rather borrow money to send back the boy to school and have the girl stay at home. You, you may stay at home, I will borrow money and take the boy at school. We shall look at your case later. We shall look at your case later, it may become an issue of years. And she may have lost out. So we continuously encourage parents, any regard, any consideration, if you're going out of your way to borrow money for school fees, let, make sure that that money you're getting both educates the girl and the boy. So that is one way we are trying to see that everyone achieves uh, education for us to be more competitive as women in the country and also to en enable the government policies to be implemented because we shall need educated women to be able to implement the government policies that are gender sensitive. And seeing all of those fantastic interventions that you've driven through from a government perspective, are mm. they also manifesting within the corporate world? Uh, sure, sure. Because that, for me, is, is really important. I, I see the world as almost as a, as a triad where we've got government, we've got economic sector, we've got the, the academic sector all working together, that we need to have some of those interventions mirrored by the other sectors. Sure. But when it comes to other sectors, because what we emphasize here is the women involvement in decision-making and development. But when it comes to other sectors, women are assuming these positions basically on merit. There is no policy in Uganda which says that a woman must be the MD of Umeme. But a woman has assumed the office of an MD of Umeme, uh, a director, 
of Umeme, a director of taxes, because this is true in Uganda. Our executive director of URA is a lady. Our executive director of KCCA, that is the, uh, the capitals, uh, capitals uh, city authority, is a lady. These ones have assumed these positions because they are empowered women, because they are competitive. So that is what we ha- that's where we have put it. When it comes to uh, carving it out that let the 40% be this, let the 30% do this, this is in terms of now policy and involvement. That's where we have these numbers. But when it comes to a competitive world, occupation of uh, officers, this one we are leaving the women to compete favorably because we have given them the core, which is education. And obviously no one wants to be in a position where you're there simply because you're a woman. You want to be there because you deserve to be there. Because you really merit the position. Mm. You mentioned rural areas a moment ago, and uh, that's just sparked in my mind that there needs to be a lot more education to, to change some of the cultural aspects on perceptions of women. And I know that in Africa we have issues of culture, religion, and tradition, which often impacts on gender equality. How do you think we can overcome some of those points for the sake of women's development? Mm. What I think that, uh, yes, culture and religion shouldn't be an impediment to anyone's progress as a woman. What I believe is that uh, every woman should appreciate that your culture, your people, will even embrace you more if you are successful. That's one thing every woman should take back home. Your culture will appreciate you, your religion will appreciate you if you are successful. But what you have to do is to set goals as a woman. Set goals, remain focused, know what you want, and remain resilient for as long as you know you are right. Important word, resilient. Remain resilient for as long as you know you are right. That is one thing that should not deter any woman to progress simply because the culture or religion is holding them behind. The world is changing, quickly changing as we speak. Things are not what they used to be, but all this can be answered by what I mentioned earlier, education. This can properly be addressed by what I stressed, education. With an educated girl and an educated boy, the world will always give them an equal chance. So someone should not use culture or religion as a pretext of staying back on advancement as a woman because the world appreciates people who help them out. What you used to work out for communities then is no longer the applicable solutions now. So they also want to adapt. But who will help them adapt? Is it a woman who is going to lead this transition or it's a man? So whether you step out, step out and know what you believe in, believe in what you really feel is right, and the sky will be the limit like they say it. Mm, Sure. On that note, we'll go into our break. Today, we're talking to the High Commissioner of Uganda to South Africa, Barbara Nikesa Oundo, who is also accredited to Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia, Swaziland and Zimbabwe. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band. Also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today we're talking to the High Commissioner of Uganda to South Africa, Barbara Nekesa Oundo, who is also credited to Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia, Swaziland and Zimbabwe. Hi, Commissioner, turning more towards a personal perspective, you come from a family with nine daughters. That's a large household of women. And raised in a patriarchal society, that must have created some interesting courses for your parents to navigate, given that they have this household of, of ladies. And in this context, you received your bachelor's degree from university, And you've risen through the ranks of your country to represent it as High Commissioner. What would be your advice to women who find themselves torn between traditional and cultural expectations of them as mothers raising children, their own personal needs, like gaining an academic education and building a professional career? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Dr. Amelia, but uh, what I alluded to earlier was any woman, for as long as you aspire success, remain focused. Focused, I use this word, what do I mean? It's in the sense of knowing what you want. It's not rocket science to make it as a woman or to be held back by the notations around us. It's knowing what you want and going for it. But one thing I would like to emphasize is that uh, Raising a girl child is quite very, very difficult because girls, like any other household, we have even more chores to do at home. A girl has to wash, a girl has to cook, a girl has to fetch water, especially a person like me. I'm from an average family. I'm not from an upmarket family, the rich and have maids and servants. You have to get things done by yourself. And when it comes to school, as you're doing that at home, you have to find time for school because you have to go through primary before you now get to levels where you have to engage with the whole country, now when you're sitting for national exams to join national uh, institutions, colleges and universities, there is a lot that you go through. A parent is raising girls who have a lot to do at home. And then from there, you, look, you go out now to the job market. Many of them will look at you as, is she really that good? And then you have to hustle around, you have to work hard to ensure that you prove to everyone that what a boy can do, a girl can do. And often women have to (laughs) prove themselves twice or three times. Sure. So what I want to tell each and every African woman, that we have two challenges. One is that we are African, and another is that we are women. Being African and being a woman, you have to work extra hard. Now that is double work. Uh, You have to beat the sense or the feeling or uh, the the, the cultural norms that people have about women for them to realize that a woman can do what a man can do. So what I actually emphasize here is that uh, what an educated woman should focus herself with, yes, you have to succeed, and that is by being focused. But in another way, you must ensure that you raise the best citizens that you can. Because an educated woman will always produce the best citizens that you can ever find. That is one thing I know. Because an educated woman really has 
each and everything covered in terms of knowledge on how to know how to go around and ensure that the children are properly brought up. She's got opportunities uh-huh. from herself on uh-huh. economic development because she's got an education. Uh-huh. As you say, with the children, she's going to make sure those children are educated to be better than she was. Uh-huh. Yeah, but when we recognize the women, the illiterate women, who have raised great men and women in these nations, but the challenges they face in raising their children, they are quite enormous. Of course. You can't compare them to an educated mother. So what we have to do is just know how to balance your time, remain focused and emphasize that what I have to do is what will speak for me. If people will judge you as a woman who left taking care of her home and opted into the career life, what comes out of the career life should be able to vindicate you. So what you do will always speak for you for as long as what you're doing is for the best interest of both your family and the community. And it's unfortunate that women do have to feel that they have to vindicate themselves because they're being judged by other people. <laughs> the, the two problems that I told you, exactly. being African and being woman, yep. those are Ex- the two challenges. Huge expectations mm-hmm. from society. It's funny, I'll give you a scenario. In politics, surprisingly, you'll have that a woman leader will be finding it very difficult to convince the men on her side. But surprisingly, you'll find that there is also a woman who is waiting to be convinced on your side. This is, this is quite challenging. And I what does that mean? Women have become problems of their own. I think that they're problems <laughs> of their own because of the environment that they were subjected to growing up. So these were the norms and that became... It should be a man. Yes. So even though you know you've got these capabilities, what you've been exposed to has been made. It's a man's world. So you should also expect to see a man in charge. <laughs> yeah, sure. So hopefully they can undergo some rewiring mm-hmm. and really view women for what we can achieve. Sure, sure. Now one question I ask all my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. Some people speak about hard work, others talk about a particular figure that has influenced them. So can you share with us some of the key drivers that you think have attributed to your success? One major driver that uh, I can attribute my hard work, I will not call it success, because my, my career has just started. I'm approximately 33, not approximately, but I am 33, because I made 33 in June, and now by next year, June, I'll be 34. But at 33 years, I believe the career has just started. What has uh, influenced my hard work, I would attribute it to my community, where I grew up from. I grew up in a community of not the so rich, but in a community I believe presents so many opportunities for us to be able to change it. That was the most driving factor I can really say has been in charge of my drive to work harder every day that goes by. Why I joined politics? I joined politics immediately after school. But during school, I was also involved in uh, bodies. We have bodies that uh, take students in schools, but they are leadership bodies. We have what we call the Uganda National Students Association in Uganda. In fact, it was started by the sitting prime minister, uh, the right honorable uh, Ruhakana Rugunda. He started this body. And at the age of 15... I was elected the deputy speaker of the district where I went to school. That was in Bale district. And since then, I never looked back. I think that's when my political life started. After school, before I would even complete my university, I was already in the race 
for a seat in parliament, a woman representative seat in parliament, before I could even finish my university. And I received uh, my degree in January 2010, and in 2011 I was elected. That's a great achievement. February. And after being sworn in parliament, after a week, I was appointed minister. So I stepped in the chambers of our parliament as minister, not only as member of parliament. So I stepped in the chambers as both member of parliament and the minister at the same time. But what drove me into politics? What I saw was that leaders were so much in charge of what happens down here. I'm in a community where we have poor roads. I'm in a community where we have uh, limited access to water. I'm in a community where so many girls drop out of school. And I believed I could do something. But what was the avenue by then? The only thing I knew I could do was speak for my area. I could go to parliament and tell them these are the challenges facing my, my locality. And I knew I would change that through what I speak. So that's what drove me to go into politics and see what I can change. And I'm happy. I spent my five years in parliament, but what I left on ground is remarkable. I can go back and say I opened those water sources. I helped that school. I helped this group of women, helped this group, this group of the youth. And that was good. Tremendous work in five years. Because five years, most legislators are always battling with how to network. How do they access people who matter, people who make decisions? And then you're doing this, but you have to make things moving on ground. Because unfortunately, I only had the five years there. And the dynamics of politics, obviously, when you're very honest, you're never favored in the system. I was kicked out very soon. But I'm happy with what I did for the five years. So that was one major factor that has driven my hard work. Another one, I would say the people around me. One person I will attribute that success to, or this hard work to, is my mother. My mother was a single mother. She brought us up single-handedly. Wow. Nine girls. And unfortunately, two of them have passed on. We are now seven living daughters. So single-handedly, I admired... She is a remarkable woman. I admired her will. You know, I admired the way she did it. And she's not educated, that I must say. Just like I said, we must recognize the women. They are uneducated who have managed also to bring out people who matter in our continent. She brought us up single-handedly. She was not educated. And the challenges that I saw her go through, simply because she had little education, that's one thing that keeps me emphasizing that what we need as a prerequisite for women empowerment is education. Because let me give you an example. A local woman in your area who is being told about agro-processing or agriculture for commercial purposes, this woman will have to have her harvest take it to the market, sell it, get money, do some banking, some saving, reinvestment. She will have to know what a 20,000 note looks like. And when she's to write it down in her banking slip, she has to know how many zeros accompany a two to make 20,000 or to make 2,000. So if she has no education, you can see these challenges. You arrive at a banking hall, call on a certain young man, please help me fill this banking slip, I need to deposit this money. And this person, if you have 20,000, she may, he may end up filling in 2,000. And then you proceed. Wrong money is filled in and then you have other money that you intended to, to bank. So these are the challenges. That's why I appreciate my government. They have what they call uh, adult literacy. And this should really be given priority. Adult literacy is a program that I think will help us shape the continent. Yes, we're because often always talking about the younger group, but to shape them in the right way. But we neglect the older group who still need to be advantaged. But so many of them are uneducated. And many of them are the ones that are involved in the agriculture sector. In Uganda, 80% 
of our people are into the agriculture sector. And I would say 65% of them are not educated. Just a few elites have farms here and there, but the majority are the illiterate people in their villages. But how are they going to ensure that we accelerate economic growth if they are not literate? That's why we need to have this program of adult literacy really very, very mm. supported. So like I was talking about my mother, I loved her so much. Uneducated, single mother, she raised us to a point that I believed a woman can do it. A woman can live, support a family without the support of a man. You don't only have to exist because there is a man in the house, but you can do it as a woman. So this was enough to give me the confidence that I needed to meet the world. Because the world is very challenging. It can victimize, it can frustrate you, and you may keep holding everything against your gender. But she proved to us that being a woman is not a deterrent. Being a woman is only the beginning point, and you can make the best use of that to be a better person. Another person I will talk about is the First Lady of Uganda. The First Lady, like I told you, I was in Parliament as a member of Parliament and there as a minister. The First Lady of Uganda was my senior minister. We both worked in Karamoja. That was our ministry, but it's housed under the office of the Prime Minister. So she was my senior minister. Looking at her track record, she's a very passionate lady about women still. But she went an extra mile of focusing on the widows and orphans. Because before she joined politics, not many of them have known, many people around the continent have known her after she has joined the political scene. Mm -hmm. But she was working with women in the rural areas under her umbrella of USO. It identified women in the areas, those uh, in the category of widows, and their orphan, the orphans that they had in their families, but basically to tell them that there is a ray of hope to empower the widows to do something and get money to train their children. That's the kind of hope the widows and orphans actually would need after they have lost one that provides for their family. And it goes more than hope because it's providing practical uh -huh. know-how to go and make those efforts sure. into, into tangible outcomes. Sure. So this is something that I admired about her, having that passion for your people. And yet she could have the alternative of sitting back in her state house, relax under an air condition and do whatever she has to do, manicure, pedicure. But she went out. She was always out in the field. She also had a program where they started the TASO organization. It has to do with HIV, the AIDS support organization. This organization has seen, and in fact it is the brainchild of all the initiatives that have been put in place to lower the HIV levels in Uganda. You know Uganda has remained a champion in fighting HIV and AIDS on the global arena. And these efforts are all attributed to her. Sometimes when you're to fight a disease like HIV, you don't need to sugarcoat your words. You need to go out and say words in their native names. Not so many parents even do that, speak about these realities with their children. You leave them to the teachers and the teachers will only tell them what they want them to know or maybe what may be examinable. So it really takes another person who comes out with a passion, with a desire to see a healthy nation, to work and ensure that we eradicate or minimize HIV and AIDS. So that was her. And when I worked with her in the ministry, she's one person who showed me that never give room for regret. You shouldn't say sorry. Avoid saying sorry. Meaning everything must be done. Everything is possible. In life, everything is possible. If you're given an assignment, treat it as a burden. Treat it as a debt. I have given, been given an assignment. I should deliver it in the best way that I can. So one thing she never liked at all is someone saying sorry. Why are you apologizing? It's because you have failed to do what you're supposed to do. So never give room for regret. 
Do your work to the best way you can. Let anyone know that you've not done this simply because your capabilities, your skills would not allow you to advance in that direction. But she ensured that everything should always be on point, like the young people say these days, that such and such is on point. So with her, work should always be done perfectly. And that's one thing I admired about her, because you find officers with so many excuses. We can't do this, then come tomorrow, then we are sorry. No, 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 no. You have work to do, do it and relax later. So these are my people that I've been around and people that I think have influenced the way I behave, the way I think. And another one, till now, is Dr. Malka. <laughs> I went through your CV, I should say. I was impressed. I was impressed. And I should say I'm very honored to be here. Hosted by you. Thank you, Hi sure. Commissioner. <laughs> Lastly, to close out the show today, you've shared your values, you've shared the influences that have had on your life, and I think some of the motivating factors behind you to give back to your community that you came from. Can you please share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to feedback to young women that are listening to us today? The young women that are listening in today, one thing that I will repeat and I've recorded very, very much on this show is being focused. Manage your time well. Being focused and managing your time means you respect what you put down as your plans. Always have a plan. Let your day be one that leads to another. Be focused. Manage your time well means respect what you put down as your plan. But most importantly, it's honesty. Honesty is something that many people take for granted. But I want to assure every listener that honesty is that one thing that will save you at the last minute. When you think, I'm now finished. But the honesty you have had during your interactions with other people, it's one thing that will save you at the last minute when you think you're now finished. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think having that integrity of character is who you are. As sure. you said, it's what you'd, <laughs> what you'd be known for. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful having you on the program. Thank you so much, Doctor. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the High Commissioner of Uganda to South Africa, Barbara Nikesa Owundo who is also accredited to Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia, Swaziland and Zimbabwe.